Well, good morning, Meeting House. I'm happy to be with you again uh, this morning. And um, I want to start by thinking about the question that we usually ask first in a scripture circle. And so that question is, what rose up for you as we read that passage? Just think about that. Notice that. It's an important place to begin because we all have a perspective that we are bringing to the text. We have different family backgrounds. We have different racial and ethnic identities. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds. All of those backgrounds affect what we hear when we hear the same thing. We do not hear it in the same way. Some of us have baggage associated with passages like this based on our religious background. Some of us find hope in passages like this. Some of us have questions that come up with passages like this. And we start there in scripture circles because we can also then notice how what we hear is different from what our neighbors hear. So I want to ask you again just to notice in yourself, what did you hear? What rose up for you as that passage was read? And today what I want to do is I want to uh, go to that word wrestle on your core values. Because I think that this passage pushes us to wrestle in a different way than we sometimes wrestle. So when I've been here before, sometimes I've invited participation uh, in the message. This is going to be a little less like that today. That is one way that we wrestle in scripture circles is through those questions and that participation. But another way we wrestle is by looking at an alternative perspective that we maybe haven't thought about before and grappling with it. So what I want to grapple with this morning is what might rise up for our Jewish brothers and sisters as they heard that passage? Would they feel the same way that we did as we heard it? John Geiger, a retired professor of religion from Princeton University, regards the book of Hebrews as the most important anti-Judaizing text of early Christianity. Feminist Roman Catholic scholar Rosemary Reuther agrees in her book, Faith and Fractitude, The Theological Roots of Anti-Semitism. And she says that the way that Hebrews frames Judaism is not merely superseded historically, but it also frames the people who cling to this religion as belonging to the heritage of apostasy. If this is true, then it gives us a task as the current readers of the book of Hebrews. Can we listen for anti-Semitism in both our own interpretations and in the interpretations of others? And can we challenge ourselves to read it and hear it differently? With that in mind, listen to what St. John Chrysostom who was the Bishop of Constantinople in the early first, fourth century, said about this section of Hebrews and Jewish, uh, Jesus being the high priest. He said, Our priest is on high and is much better than those Jewish priests, not only in this way, but also with regard to place, tabernacle, covenant, and person. It's good then for those of, who have this great priest to be superior and for the difference between us and the Jews to be as great as that as between Christ and Aaron. This is a father of the Christian church that we read, who read the passage that we just heard in that way. Clearly this states that we are the better group. 
Can we grapple with that history? And can we hear this passage differently? Is that really what's being said here in the book of Hebrews? Is Jesus being called a great high priest because he's so much better than that other group that came before us? One guardrail I use in interpretation is Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy. I came to fulfill. So what might it mean then to take that lens into this passage and to consider here that Jesus is being framed as someone who is fulfilling, not destroying, the role of the high priest? So in order to do that, let's set this book in time and space a little bit. So Clement, who is the Bishop of Rome from 92 to 101, quotes the book of Hebrews, which means that we can date this before 96, which means it's a pretty early work of Christianity. Scholars debate whether it was written before or after the destruction of the temple in AD 70, um, but knowing how much it talks about the temple and the fact that it doesn't talk about the destruction of it means it is not a stretch to think that this work was written before the year 70 AD, which means it is a very early work of the Christian faith, which means that this is being set at a time period when everyone was wrestling with who Jesus Christ was and what he came to do. I think of this time period as, as, as the B.C. Christianity. We talk about B.C. and A.D. in time periods in, uh, with the year zero. But I also think in Christianity we need to know what is B.C., which is before Constantine. Constantine made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. Therefore, embedding it, embedding it from that time forward into empirical ways of thinking and being in the world. And we have to grapple with what things were like B.C., before Constantine, before the church and the empire together were working for power. And say, okay, what were they wrestling with when church and empire were separate? At this point, it was a small sect that was branching off from Judaism. And one of the core questions was, is this... a a sect of Judaism, or is it something else? Because it was so completely tied to Judaism. Let's remember that Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was a rabbi. And actually, before uh, the rabbis existed, the precursors to the rabbis were the Pharisees. So some scholars have called Jesus a Pharisee just a very different Pharisee than the ones that he was speaking against. And so if we put this early church in that time and space completely tied to the Jewish people and the Jewish religion, then we must ask ourselves, if we were a Jewish person living under Roman rule who witnessed the life and death of Jesus Christ, what might rise up for us as we heard this passage today. What would we be thinking about? What would we be wondering about in religion, about God, about empire, about Jesus?
And what would we think, wonder, and question when we heard this idea of the priesthood coming up? So, let's talk about the priests. So, uh, the priests have been around for a really long time in the Hebrew faith. They existed as descendants of Aaron, who's talked about in this passage. And they were in charge of the temple worship. They were in charge of helping people bring their sacrifices as a part of their rituals and their festivals of coming to Jerusalem, offering sacrifices and connecting to God through that work. That is a very specific role that is different from that of the role of the synagogue, which also exists at the time of Jesus. The synagogue is more the realm of the Pharisees. In the synagogue, they are helping people connect around the scrolls and study what the scrolls have to say. The priests are very much tied to that act of worship in this centralized temple location. Then there came a time period under Greek rule when priests named Maccabees came into power. And the priests who were from the Maccabean family were not very big fans of the Greek Empire, and they revolted against the Greek Empire, and they won for a time. And this is where the practice of Hanukkah comes from, is celebrating that Maccabean revolt. But that revolt was squelched, and um, what do empires, maybe this is a participation question, if an empire experiences a revolt and comes out as victor on the other side, what do they do with that group that revolted or led a revolt? Kill them? Good. What else? Go to jail, jail I heard. What else? Enslave them? Good. What else? Suppress their ideas. It's not just about who started that revolt. It's about the potential for that revolt to happen again. So after that revolt, the priests of the, of the Jewish religion were put in that position by the empire. They were no longer descendants of Aaron, chosen based on their birthright. They were chosen based on their relationship with King Herod and their uh, complicitness in what the empire was doing. Let me read this quote uh, from an online resource about Jewish history. With the Roman conquest of Judea and subsequent Herodian rule, the office of the high priest became a political tool in the hands of the administration. Herod, in an attempt to base his regime on new elements within Jewish society, completely disassociated himself from the Hasmonean dynasty. By the end of the Second Temple period, the high priest was considered no more than a religious functionary of the Roman administration. And thus, even the garments of the high priest were entrusted at times to the hands of local Roman procurator and handed over to the priest just prior to the various festivals. The priests were among the upper echelon of the Roman society. So I ask again, if you are a Jewish person living in that time period and you hear talk of the priests, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you wrestling with? How do you feel about priests 
that are puppets in the hands of the empire that is suppressing you. Now this author of Hebrews comes along and says, Jesus is the great high priest. Does that feel like good news? So why would that be the message of this book? What is happening that they're talking about Jesus being a high priest when the high priests are the ones who have been corrupt? I want to read again how it talks about Jesus being the high priest in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, but is without sin. I want to have us wrestle with this not being about um, Jesus' perfection in and of itself, but about Jesus being a leader with integrity who we can trust. Jesus is not a priest who has been corrupted by power. Jesus had the opportunity to take all of the power and he gave it away. That is what the priests were always meant to do. And that is what Jesus is modeling for us. And when we think about this idea then of fulfilling something, not destroying something, I think the writer of Hebrews is pretty genius to go back to Melchizedek. Because when things have become corrupt, when religious power is in the hands of the empire, how do you fulfill it? How do you redeem it? Where, what part of the story do you go back to? So the writer of Hebrews takes us all the way back to Genesis 14 before there's any institutionalized anything, and says there was a priest once named Melchizedek, who was a very different kind of priest. And Jesus is from that order. So let's think about Melchizedek. Let's think about uh, what he did, who he was. Uh, what do we know about Melchizedek? He disappeared. He exists in the narrative for a tiny piece of time. Of all people to go back to, we go to somebody in the Bible who's got like three verses said about them. He pops into the scene, he goes away, never to be heard from again. Melchizedek shows up on the battlefield. So he's taking, uh, he comes along in the story of Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, Abram is going to save Lot again. And as a part of saving Lot, he's actually rescuing entire groups of people who become enslaved by power. So he goes and he fights this battle. He rescues those who have been enslaved. And he is in a conversation with the other winners of the battle about what they are going to do with the spoils of war. And all of a sudden, Melchizedek shows up. And Melchizedek shows up on that battlefield, and it is, he is named as both king and priest. It is the first use of the word priest in the Bible, by the way. He's our very first priest that we see. And it says that he is also a king, and that he is the king of 
Shalom. Now, our Bibles say Salem, but it's Shalom. It is spelled the same. It has the same meaning. So the first priest we meet in the Bible has the role of being king of peace and wholeness. And the word shalom in Hebrew actually has a very specific kind of wholeness attached to it. It's the wholeness of repair. It's the wholeness that comes when the last brick is put in the repaired wall in the book of Nehemiah, that the wall becomes shalom, it becomes whole again after it had become broken. The first priest of the Bible is Melchizedek, and he is king of that reparative wholeness. And his name, Melchizedek, means king of justice. And it's a particular kind of justice, sedek, which is about my alignment with what, which, with what is good and right. Is my inner alignment with what is good and right on course? Melchizedek is the king of reparative wholeness and the king of living according to justice. And he is our first priest. What does he do with all of that power? He goes to a battlefield, and he blesses Abram. And he's the first human in scripture to bless another human. As he blesses Abram, after that blessing, Abram decides not to take the spoils of war. Abram, in fact, gives a tithe away. It's our first time we see 10% being given away. And Melchizedek's presence disrupts the power of that moment in time, and everyone walks away from the battle differently. What he brings besides himself is bread and wine. Anyone familiar with religious traditions that involve bread and wine? Melchizedek is the first to do it, and he brings that communion to a battlefield and uses communion as an act to disrupt power and to bless. Jesus is high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is not a high priest who was appointed by Herod. He is not a high priest who is about the power of the empire. He is a high priest who is about blessing who is about reparative wholeness, who is about justice, and who is about disrupting power. This is the high priest that we have. He has been tempted like we have been to grab power for himself, and he never once did it. Not even when it cost him his life. He is our high priest because he is fulfilling what the priesthood was always meant to do. It was always meant to disrupt power. It was always meant to bless others. It was always meant to be a source of reparative wholeness and justice. And so if this passage then in Hebrews is not about disrupting Judaism, if it is not an anti-Semitic reading of that shift in priesthood, then I want to challenge us to wrestle with how it is upending institutionalized religion and power. 
I want to challenge us to wrestle with what someone would say to our churches today about how we are holding power and whether our pastors and religious leaders are priests in line of Melchizedek or whether we are priests in the line of Herod. Can we wrestle with our history and can we take Hebrews being a word for the church today, not just about another group in the past? Can we see Jesus as a high priest who models for us how to hold power? And can we wonder if we are following that example? Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, a king of justice, a king of reparative wholeness, someone who blesses, someone who upsets power, someone who brings communion to a battlefield. May we wrestle with the ways that we use power. May we wrestle with the ways the church uses power. And may we follow your example. It's in your name we pray. Amen.